I'm pleased to introduce our uh, second speaker in this session, uh, Aoife McKearney, uh, and her paper is, uh, thankfully for me, uh, simply entitled Practical Thinking. <laughs> the element of surprise, what's it going to be? <laughs> Thank you. Thanks very much. So, to speak of theory and practice is to elicit the long-standing metaphysical separation of thinking from acting, of the life of contemplation from the life of action. At the very heart of metaphysics, one finds the platonic separation of knowing and doing, affirming thereby the hierarchy in which the life of contemplation and the happiness found therein is superior to the kind, is, excuse me, is superior in kind to the political life of the citizen. The source of this juxtaposition is to be found, sorry, yeah, the source of this juxtaposition is to be found in this belief, which gained currency into the Western metaphysical tradition, arguably resulting in a turning away from human affairs towards the life of the intellect. Political theorist and thinker Hannah Arendt draws inspiration from the ancient Greeks and their conception of the polis, the, pu the public space of citizen citizenry, in order to elucidate the tensions that exist and continue to exist between theory and practice. In this paper, I will pursue the perceived antagonism between conceptions of theory and, the pra and practice in the Greek understanding of praxis, that is action, and poesis, and how praxis was unfairly subsumed under the category of production, that is poesis, Arendt accuses Plato of substituting the category of action for making and denigrating the primacy of action by imposing the alien standard on the world of human affairs. In order to rescue the dignity, the dignity of practice, practice excuse me, praxis from this um, derivative categorization and the subsequent reduction of the significance of the term, I will turn to Arendt's analysis of the political space and explore her post-metaphysical phenomenological attempt to rehabilitate and retrieve praxis from the dominance of the contemplative life. By way of conclusion and contribution, I will introduce the topic of solidarity in, a light, in light of Arendt's conception of praxis and human interaction. Given time constraints, my aims here are modest, but I would like to point towards and concretize something which is rather significant. My main aim would be to elucidate the genesis of this juxtaposition of theory and practice in order to understand political phenomena and the experience of solidarity. The antagonism that exists between philosophy and politics can be properly understood only against the backdrop of the ancient Greek conception of the political life. According to the Greeks, the main feature that separates gods from human being was that the gods were immortal and thus unchanging, perfect beings. Human beings, on the other hand, are mortal beings as such, bound to the perennial cycle of birth and death, natality and mortality, beginning and end. Yet the only way in which the human being could escape, at least in part, from the mortality of existence was to engage in contemplation, in substantial truth-seeking, drawing on a capacity within themselves which is more than human. Humanity's key connection to immortality is hence the faculty of contemplation, whereby the human being can apprehend intellectually the unchanging essence of thesis, devoting time to, to a consideration of an immutable order which stands over and above the intrinsically mutable one. However, before engaging in the silent dialogue of consciousness, what Arendt following Plato calls, quote, the two-in-one of the soul, Contemplation presupposed the production and maintenance of a life conducive to thinking. 
an effort to preserve this atmosphere of leisure and productivity, the philosopher must distance herself from public interaction, at least sporadically, which is unpredictable and disordered, and by doing so, organize the public sphere so that an underlying order prevails. Consequently, the importance of the life of action and the life of the citizen was diminished and seen as subordinate to the philosophical life and its reflection on unchanging realities. The active life of political engagement had in the Greek world embodied excellence, that is arite. Prior to Plato, the excellence of citizenry was the highest capacity of human existence, collectively understood. Indeed, this was the only way to transcend one's mortality, preserved in the memory of future generations of citizens as a doer of great and honorable deeds. The achievement of great deeds and words presupposes the presence of others to bear witness to them through story and memory, immortalized the performer. In contrast to the gods who have no beginning and no end, no birth or death, the human being must be born into the world and thus has a beginning that will come to an end. However, were she to be preserved in memory through tales of great accomplishments, she would be immortalized in the memory of her peers and for future generations to come. She would leave a trace. Thus, the political was intrinsically intersubjective in that it is achieved amidst the company of other human beings. It was an inherently public affair. This element of public, uh, excuse me, this element of publicness bestowed visibility and recognition so important to the Greek way of life, so much so that the Greek and Roman conception of death was to cease to be among other human beings. However, the life of the polis was arguably obscured by the metaphysical tradition. The greatest antagonism towards the political sphere began with Plato and arguably the death of Socrates. The execution of Socrates by the state of Athens set in train a standoff between philosophy and politics. Arendt identifies with, quote, the growing apoliticism of philosophers after Socrates, end quote, and contends that philosophers' aversion to the political activity or the antipathy shown towards the political by philosophy was born out of the distrust in how the Athenian state had treated Socrates. And this arguably became the canonical representation of the relationship between philosophy and politics between thinking and action. This distrust of what the state was capable of uh, began a tradition in which political activity was dictated to and legitimated by its usefulness to philosophy, which could impose order and structure on the realm of contingent human affairs. Thus, the dignity and the role of political life lay solely in its setting and securing the stage for the furtherance of the contemplation of, contem excuse me, contemplative life. The two-world dichotomy of immutable truth and ephemerality found in Plato's dialogue stems from this point, and the utopian reorganization of the polis ensues. In pursuit of this utopian ideal of order and efficiency, Plato arguably obscures the distinction between the phenomenon of making associated with production and, excuse me, the phenomenon of making poesis associated with production and that of praxis, action, which led to the in interpretation of political activity in terms of making. Political action was conceived in terms of conformity with a preconceived model of production and realizes this end, this end with the means at its disposal. This arguably was philosophy's attempt to transcend the world of opinion found in the realm of human interaction based on reliable universal truth. This eclipsed the unknowable and unlimited nature of the web of human, excuse me, the web of relations as a rent terms it, that constitutes human interaction. Praxis as the capacity for genuine human action corresponds to what Arendt terms the human condition of plurality. 
as is symptomatic of Arendt's thinking, action has a certain meaning for her and in the context in which she employs it. Action is the highest form of the human condition, although it is fleeting and fragile. When human, being, when, excuse me, when human beings act, their distinctive humanity is revealed, and this is the public disclosure of the individual in speech and deed, the manifestation of a who a person is in the world. Both speech and action are based on the condition of plurality. To avoid any misconceptions here, it is important to note that by plurality, Arendt is referring to the fact that human beings do not merely differ biologically in terms of a species, a what, but as a who someone is. That is, as unfolding individuals or subjective centers of activity whose unique interlocking perspectives constitute the world. Whereas mere productive activity, Arendt says, has no more meaning than is revealed in the finished products and does not intend to show more than what is plainly visible and usable at the end of the production process. Action, without a name, without a who attached to it, is meaningless. This possibility of individuation is a fundamental constitute of human existence. Therefore, we reveal our unique perspectives through speech and action, and in so doing, we actualize our own plurality, revealing what is unique and irreducible about ourselves. The novelty, excuse me, the novelty of Arendt's thought lies in her illuminating insights into the performative nature of this plurality and human freedom inherent in it, which is not reducible to mere making and its efficacious means to ends calculations. The, actuali excuse me, the actualization or performance of these capacities hinges upon the capacity to initiate new beginnings. This stands in contrast to the depiction of the traditional philosophical discourse which is often focused on understanding finality or final causes. However, Arendt, it can be said, is one of the first philosophers to reflect on the condition of natality. The ter this term connotes an existential fact. Human beings are born and appear out of, in the world out of nothingness. One day we will return to this nothingness, we will disappear from the world. Disappear this appearing and disappearing has deep existential and phenomenological roots. What prima facie may seem a truism, namely our appearance at birth, is a very condition for the creation of a new and open-ended possibilities, because each and every person brings something new into the world, both when they are born and when they act in concert in the world. Arendt writes, quote, For us, appearance is something that is being seen and heard by others as well as by ourselves. This constitutes reality. However, when this is lost, the sense of the world's actualized reality is substituted for the logic of natural or societal processes. Subjected to the metaphysical perspective on necessity and truth, and the naturalistic perspective of causal determination, both are unable to account for the reality of contingency and plurality. For Arendt, understanding as distinct from knowing must not be confused with the logical operations of theoretical reflection. Because objective knowledge, excuse me, because objective knowing is incapable of responding to human affairs and events insofar it is, as it is removed from non-generalizable contingent experience. The solution to the frailty and precariousness of human affairs then was the pre-metaphysical remedy of the polis, conceived as a stable space for human interaction and co-appearance. In order to focus on the act of life, Arendt performed a dismantling analysis of the structures latent in metaphysics, which impeded the significance of political action and its, sorry, 
I'm not smooth at this, and its respectability, rendering it a derivative phenomenon. This phenomenological task was supported by the pre-Platonic assessment of political life, which did not envision the political as having such a derivative status. The metaphysical hierarchy of thinking and acting has permeated the Western tradition so effectively that only relatively recently has this metaphysical bias been thematized and challenge, challenged, specifically by the phenomenological tradition, which recognizes and emphasizes the role of particular appearances and experiences, which are not easily reducible to one unified or generalizable appearance or experience. Refusing to be reduced to a rigid and unified system, the spirit of phenomenology drives its analysis as a radical way of carrying out philosophical reflection and following Aristotle of saving the appearances and their discrete being in common. Phenomenology appears to stand in stark opposition to certain metaphysical tendencies which seek non-manifest explanatory causes. Rather, phenomenology places appearance in the manner of their given as center stage when attempting to understand the phenomena as they unfold in the world. The dismantling of metaphysics, which is, it must be said, a perpetual struggle and always incomplete, it is a purely phenomenological task motivated by the theoretical excesses of the overly intellectualized life. With respect to the world as experienced and given, the old metaphysical distinction between being and appearing is just not pertinent. Arendt Avers that excessive focus on methodological problems and metaphysical distinctions between being and appearing have led to the neglect of the lived concrete concerns. The abandonment of phenomenology and its subsumption under something enduring has led to the generalization and the destruction of the particular phenomenon because thinking in terms of normative processes deprives phenomenal facts of all their general meaning, sidestepping the phenomenal givenness of a plurality of worldly entities. Political events are phenomenon in the special sense and the phenomenal space cannot be made accessible as a phenomenon to any objective theory. For instance, the imposition of an absolute standard onto the domain of praxis would do away with the need to persuade others to elicit their consent to a specific proposal or to obtain their agreement. Indeed, for rent, the imposition of such a standard would mean that individuals would no longer be required to exercise their judgment, develop their imagination, or cultivate what she terms an enlarged mentality, since they would no longer need to, be, need to deliberate what can be otherwise but shared. Logical demonstration rather than persuasive argument would then become the only legitimate form of discourse. What is required in matters affecting the political community is precisely that form of practical reasoning that Aristotle sought to, excuse me, sought to distinguish from both episteme and Sophia, as well as from techne. Let me now turn to the understanding of political life, which is bound up with the plurality and sing of singular and contingent existence. To concretize, excuse me, to concretize this, let me briefly and in conclusion deal with the dual concerns of solidarity and plurality. For Arendt, plurality is the condition of her humanity. She asserts that circumstance, traditional stru structures of exclusion, and social convention or custom can never determine us absolutely arguing against the type of identity politics which operates with an all-too-narrow concept of solidarity. Arendt describes solidarity that is woven out of the fabric of difference and distinction. It must be said that any theory of solidarity would have been problematic for Arendt. Theory and the objectivity it requires can never explain or come to understand political phenomenon, hence to move away from essentialist reductive understanding of human interaction. 
The principle of assuming a methodological theoretical position requires that the observer of the phenomena in question stand over and against its object, whereas the nature of political phenomena precludes this very condition as the individual must be a participant in human affairs. Objective theories are, in fact, an impediment to understanding the building of solidarities. For Arendt, um, excuse me, for Arendt, as they block access to the fragile nature of the phenomenon, an Archimedean standpoint which theory believes it can obtain when dealing with its object in a proper manner, that is, from an objective viewpoint. What Arendt sought throughout her work was to achieve and encourage an understanding of events in the proper sense, that is, as they are lived through. The choice on Arendt's part to situate her thought in the context of the political realm is due in large part to the condition that human existence unfolds in the context of a meaningful world and needs continual engagement and re-engagement. Arendt's version of the role of appearances over metaphysical realities places the phenomenal world at the heart of her philosophy. Hers is therefore not a solidarity in opposition to diversity or particularity, the solidarity of a parochial communitarianism that swallows up individuality, but one built on the very notion of plurality and particularity, namely the inexhaustible diversity of the human condition and its particularizing capacities and their respectful recognition and perpetual re-examination. It requires other members to acknowledge it as a political reality, while there are many theoretical positions on the nature of solidarity, uh, remaining at the theoretical level would be an impoverished reflection on the true nature of solidarity, which is performative and thus a practice. That there can be no essential pre-given fixed identity rests upon the, the natality of human existence as one must continually de define oneself against the paradox of a sea of possibilities and the facticity of existence. It harbors major consequences for the emergence of genuine solidarity. It means one must continually redefine common goals and reorientate themselves towards a possible future. Each one of us contains and represents something new, an otherness within the self that demands expression. And when we act, we bring the unexpected to bear on the customary, the novel over and against the merely habitual. This is the freedom to innovate, to think practically, that is to judge politically in an open-ended dialogue with what is intimately otherwise yet totally unexpected. By way of conclusion, I have attempted to show how in, an, how in analyzing solidarity, Arendt focuses on a sense of collective or political responsibility founded on her shared humanity, which helps strengthen the fragile bonds that supports the political world. This brings to light how political responsibility, rights, and forms of even more inclusive solidarity are inextricably bound together what this amounts to is making these unique differences public so that they can be seen, heard, and respected, and not dissolved into broad and unified theoretical essentialisms, the collective life of the human species. Thank you. Thank you.